Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you this morning and we just say thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are supplying all of our needs. You are supplying some of our wants, even. <laughs> and uh, we just say thank you for that. Thank you for a wonderful week where this campus was used every night to tell young little ones about the greatest gift ever. And so uh, we would pray that uh, what you began in these little hearts, you'll see it through. Uh, seems like a silly prayer because you already said you would. So we can just depend on it. We trust you for that. Uh, for that little one who didn't grasp it maybe, but they have some questions or whatever. Uh, we leave that in your hands to deal with. Thank you for the many people that served at summer night camp. We just, I know we already prayed Thanksgiving. I'm praying it again, Lord. Thank you so much for that. Bless our time now as we look at your word. Uh, may it penetrate the hearts of your people. May we leave here better than when we came in because of your word. And uh, use uh, the feeble lips of a just a mere man to uh, portray and uh, speak the truth of what scripture says in Jesus name amen I, I titled this uh, well I had in my mind to title this a true minister of Christ and uh, I did not convey that very well to Lisa Faria who helps me put this slide up behind me so it just says true minister but it should say a true minister and that was my fault but um, I, I couldn't help but wonder though as you look at that title and we talk about it I wonder what might have flashed through your mind when you think about a minister of Christ what does that look like and um, when, when I use that term I, I think of uh, a, a different thing I don't think of this I'm not speaking of the traditional concept of a full-time employee of a church who's kept around to do the preaching the, the teaching the counseling visiting everyone that needs it and some that don't need it, uh, keeping the internet updated, uh, the website going, make sure the money's coming in, um, all of the things that sometimes people have a, a thought that the, the pastor or the minister of Christ is the one doing all that. that that's not what we had in mind. Um, but unfortunately, that is how a lot of people view a minister of Christ. And um, the Corinthians apparently uh, thought of Apostle Paul, who, who he was writing to them, uh, they thought of a minister of Christ as being a big shot traveling evangelist kind of guy. Um, you know, like uh, the, the one with a lot of eloquence of speech and a lot of knowledge. And uh, although that's nice to have, it's not necessarily what a minister of Christ is. Um, and so, as we've seen multiple times in the last few months, um, in going through 1 Corinthians, we, we keep seeing this. It keeps coming up. You say you're from Paul. You say you're from Apollos or Cephas. That continues to boil up. Why? Because the whole, the whole title of our series so far has been called out. God's calling you out. And then divisions in the church. And so we see that uh, multiple times in the last few months, the dividing of the church in Corinth is, I'm from Paul, I'm from Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and the apostle at the prompting of the Holy Spirit has pointed out multiple times in this four chapters the error of the Corinthian thought in their way. And so in chapter four, he sets them straight by setting before them the actions of a true minister of Christ. Uh, he even gives them a title. And we'll talk about that. Here's the passage. We're gonna do one through five. I was originally going to do six and seven and realized that I would not have enough time to do that. So I forced that over onto Todd next week and added verses to him. So if he goes over next week, it's his fault, not mine. So that's what I did and Todd took him on and, uh, and so uh, just know that uh, that particular section actually fit better with the other section that he's going to be doing. But let's read this passage and, uh, and then we'll move forward. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards 
that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. And somebody just said, wow, and I could not agree more. uh, The last section of that five is incredible. Just incredible. Verse five there. There's a sense in which, as we read this, there's a sense in which, a sense in which we are all ministers of Christ, right? If you're saved here today, you were given a ministry. Amen? We're, we're commanded in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, in verse I think 20 and 21, he says that we're to be ambassadors, begging and pleading with people to be reconciled to Christ. So we're all ministers. But that's not what Paul's doing right now here in this. If you've been through our core values classes, you've heard me say multiple times that every Christian in, is in the ministry. It's you, Valley Bible Church, if you're a member here, if you've been coming regularly, if you attended this summer night camp, you're the ministers of Valley Bible Church. You're the ones that minister to all those children. I came out three nights and came around, and I didn't minister to any children. I was just here enjoying the craziness that was going on and trying to encourage the workers. Like, hang in there. You'll be able to get untied eventually right i mean you will get to sleep on saturday those types of things no thanking you very much for serving not serving us not serving me not in in a way serving the kids but in another way serving christ whatever your ministry is i pray you're serving christ in it that you're serving god in the ministry that you're doing and not men So there's a special sense in which Paul is dealing here and it's not necessarily what we just talked about but it's about those who have the gift of teaching or preaching and their function within the body of Christ that's what he's addressing in this segment he's trying to tell them quit talking about me and Apollos and Cephas and other men as Todd pointed out last week in verse 21 of chapter 3 he says that no one would boast about men. Stop boasting about men. Boast about the one that they're trying to tell you about. There have been dozens of ministers just like what Paul's talking right here at Valley Bible Church. They've been here. They started churches. They've gone out and started other churches. I think of a couple of them. Steve Fernandez, Frank Griffith, Um, John Fernandez, different ones, uh, John Carson. Unfortunately, three of them, well, unfortunate for us and their their parishioners, but fortunate for them, they're with Jesus now. They're in heaven. But they came just like I'm standing here, and they they preached the word of God because they were given that gift, and they felt like they had to do it. That's what happens when you get this this tug within you that says you've got to become a minister of Christ. And in a special way, I want you to preach. I want you to teach. If you're in a small group and you're teaching, this is your category. So what do we, what do we think about them? Who are they? Should we call them, should we give them a bunch of titles? Should we call them bishops? About a, what about an apostle? I heard people called an apostle. I'm like, well, that's dead wrong. Well, how about this one? The Episcopalians call them wardens. That feels like I'm in prison when I hear that. But that's a title they give them. Well, and, and then let's, let's just get real. 
What about uh, doctors? Are they doctors? What about the term reverend? My dad used to be called Rev. I'm like, what in the world? Reverends, rabbis, popes, or even let me step on the toes of Valley Bible Church a little bit. How about senior pastor or lead pastor? Oh, those titles. Hmm. You know the problem with all that? I can't find any of those in Scripture. I don't find any of those titles in Scripture. Mm -mm. The only one you could say maybe is there is bishop, but not in the way that it's being used today. Trust me. It would line up more with uh, the equivalency of being an elder or an overseer. Paul uses instead a title for himself, Apollos and Cephas, and it is a remarkable title that he gives himself. So let's talk about that. Number one thing I want to do in this thing is I'm going to talk about the responsibilities of a minister of Christ. That's the first two verses. We're going to talk about the responsibilities of them. And then we're going to talk about, in verses 3 through 5, the evaluation or judgment or examination, whatever, whatever, uh, whatever version of the Bible that you use has different words there. But let's take a look at this, the responsibilities of a minister. But there's four things that he points out here in these two verses. One of them is not as obvious, and I think that's the first one. He says, let every man regard us in this manner. He's pointing out that when you're going to talk about a minister, when you're going to talk about somebody that's serving God in the capacity of preaching or teaching in that area, you need to regard them in this manner. So he's pointing out to them, you've been doing it wrong, Corinth. For three chapters, I've been telling you, stop doing this. I'm from Paul. I'm from Apollos. I'm from Cephas. Stop. Stop doing that. Quit giving them these accolades. The only person you should be following that gets any accolades is Jesus Christ. You got sort of excited about that, but he's the only one that you should be following after. And just because men like me or Tim or Todd are up here preaching, you're going to follow us to a degree, but you're following the one we're following. That's what you should always be looking at. Look past us to the one we're following. Get, if you're behind me, look around the corner and see Christ up there, hopefully. If you don't see Christ up there when you're following me, then abandon ship. Paul actually points that out. He says, look, this is an imperative. You need to realize how to regard us. In what manner do you think of us? And then he lays out, he's going to lay out now, he's going to give you the three. So that's the first one I saw in there. It's one that's not quite as obvious. It's like, hey, first thing I want to tell you is, you got to stop regarding us the way you have been. You need to start regarding us as who we really are. Okay? I'm not the eloquent of speech. I'm not the... And, and listen, if you've got degrees, praise God you got them. But that's not why we follow. That's not it. So look. Here we go. Get ready. Buckle up. I'll try and get you out of here before 1 o'clock. So how are we to regard the minister of Christ? How are we supposed to regard Paul and Apollos and Cephas? What's he tell us? Look at it. It says, regard us as servants of Christ. Wait a minute. You mean you don't like being high on the pedestal? You just want to be called a servant? Yes. That would be so honoring to just be called a servant of Christ. To be identified as someone that's just trying my best to do what he wants me to do. That's what Tim does. That's what Todd does. That's what you do that are teaching small groups or teaching Sunday school classes. You're doing that with all your heart for Christ. You're serving him. Now, I want to say something about this. This word servant that we see, well, it's different than the one that was in chapter 3, verse 5. If you looked back at chapter 3, verse 5, you saw this. What then is Apollos? I think I preached on this previously. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Well, you might say they're nothing. That doesn't mean anything. They got some title, their name. Who cares? Because he said this, servants through whom you believed. 
even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Now, that's a different word there. That servant is not the same servant as we're looking at today. That one has the, the, the Greek word of okanos. Am I saying that right? I'm saying something like that. Diakonos. Diakonos, that's the word. Okay. So this word here in the passage we're reading today is called huperetos. And I'm going to, every time I say that, it'll sound different because I'm not sure how to say it. It's all Greek to me. So the diaconist says, I'm serving you, the individual. We served you, me and Apollos and Cephas, we served you by bringing you the gospel of Jesus Christ, by bringing you the good news. That's how we were serving you. These people that worked summer night camp, they were serving these little children. So there's an aspect, they were, they were diaconizing, but on the other side they say, we're serving Christ too, so we're also doing the, the other word that I can't even pronounce. Hubratus. We're doing that one also. All right? But as ministers of the gospel, we're serving Christ. And so, what does that word mean? What's the difference? One says we're serving you to the gospel. We're, we're presenting that to you. This one says this, and I like the term. It means, literally, I'm an under rower. An under rower. Okay, now you're looking at me like, what does that mean? Well, the Romans, at the time that this was being written, had these ships, and they put servants, and that's a kind way of saying they were slaves, they put them underneath the belly of that boat, and they put an oar in their hands, and they rowed, and they rowed. That's what they did. So, and there was, and, and listen, they're in the bottom of the boat. They don't even get to see the water. They don't see where they're going or anything else. They're just rowing. And if they didn't row properly, they might get a, a lashing. But there was somebody at the helm. And that person at the helm knew where they were going. They saw the danger ahead. They saw where they needed to go, how to avoid the storms. They saw that. And all they had to do was obey the command of the one that was at the helm and row. And row. Or put your oar in the water and stop rowing so you can make sudden turns. There's all these different commands. We are just under rowers. But someone's at the helm that knows everything that's going on. And that's the one I'm trusting today. I'm not trusting any of you. Just get that out of your mind right now. I'm trusting that one. So we're going to keep rowing. We're going to keep being the hooperatuses. That sounds better the way I said that. I don't know if that's right or not, but that sounded better. If you just say it really strong and go forward, they'll think you know what you're talking about, right? So we are not big shots. We are not among you as domineering leaders with the last word. We are servants of Christ, under rowers with our eyes fixed on him. If you see us with our eyes off of him, slap us upside the head. What are you looking at? What decision are you making? Are you making decisions that are based on culture? Heaven forbid. This culture is so messed up. When he tells us to say, that is what we will say. What he tells us to say, that's what we're going to say. And when he tells us not to do that, that is where the limits are set. If he says we don't want to go that, if, if the Lord speaks to us through Scripture and says that's not the direction, guess what? We aren't going that way. If he says, here's what my word says, we're doing that. That's what Tim and Todd and other teachers and myself want you to think about as you see us ministering among you. We're doing it because that's what Christ tells us to do and we're ministering on his behalf. We're under rowers. He's at the helm. If he's, not on the, if he's not at the helm, then we're a social club. And you're following the wrong people. You gotta, he's got to be at the helm. And we have to see that, and we have to do as we're told. And inside of that, you receive blessing as somebody that's being ministered to by us. 
The other thing he said that we're supposed to do is we're supposed to be stewards. And, he, and he's specific about what we're supposed to be stewards of. He said you're supposed to be stewards of the mysteries of God. Well, a minister of Christ is to be a steward entrusted with what Paul calls the mysteries of God, the secret and hidden wisdom of God, these valuable truths which are only found in revelation of the word of God and nowhere else. I'm not going to look at social books to try and figure out what I'm going to preach on this week. I'm not going to go and watch CNN and Fox and MSNBC and all the other different people that have no idea what they're talking about. None of them, they're all telling you how to, what's going on and they haven't even, they've got no facts. It's amazing to me. They couldn't preach in this pulpit. You better have some, you better have your act together. Anyway, that was just an extra. So the word mysteries means truths once hidden but now revealed. So what's the, let's think about this. These mysteries I, just, I thought of this in the early service, wrote it down earlier, but just the mysteries of God. What are the mysteries of God? Well, how about we just start in Genesis? How did all this come into being? How did it all come into being? How did the earth get here? How did we get here? Well, there's a mystery in there, and God speaks to the mystery in the Word of God. Doesn't he? Genesis. In the beginning, God created well, you want to know how we got here? God created. It's right there. There's no more a mystery now, is there? Why? Because we got in the book and we discovered. And then there's all kinds of mysteries in the scriptures. There's a mystery about the kingdom to come. There's a mystery about the end times. There's mysteries about, what's the biggest mystery? The, the biggest mystery I can think of, the one that's the most important mystery that he revealed to us is when he told you, and when we watched his son die a horrible death on our behalf. And then by believing in that, you can get salvation. You can become part of his family. You can change your eternal destination in a moment's notice. By simply saying, Christ came and died for me. He died on the cross. My sins were paid for there. I'm going to trust him fully. I'm putting faith in that. And now you change from an enemy of God to a family member. That's what we're challenged to do. As ministers of Christ, we're challenged to be good stewards of these mysteries. And look, our job is to take what is a mystery to you today and reveal what God said about it so that it's no longer a mystery. And Paul says his mystery was expressly to preach the gospel. Of Jesus Christ a minister is not to be estimated as a supernatural teacher or a civil autocrat or how about an infallible critic what in the world is an infallible critic no such thing but we're supposed to be seen as an ambassador from Christ I already said that earlier. I won't bother you with it a second time. That's what we're charged to do as pastors, as ministers of Christ. We're charged to tell you the mysteries of Scripture. You, you know what? Here's an interesting thing. Excuse me. The interesting thing is that some of you this morning think that you can't dig this stuff out yourself. And you know what? That is true. If you don't open your Bible, you can't dig it out. If you open your Bible and start to read it, um, I think, well, no, I don't think. I know that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the same exact teacher that I have. And it's not Dallas Theological Seminary. It's the Holy Spirit. He's the one that reveals the truth to us. He's the one that shows us how to. He's the one that empowers me to be up here speaking today. You know, when I was in school, I wouldn't get up and do an oral report. I'd take an F instead of doing an oral report. And now look at me. You poor people, you wish I would have stopped speaking then. 
Final thing in this little segment there, one through two. In this case, moreover, is required of a steward that he be found trustworthy. Well, I'm going to speak for Todd and I'm going to speak for Tim and if they disagree with me, you'll take that up with them later. We are going to be trustworthy about being stewards of the mysteries of God. You can trust that we're going to continue to dig out those mysteries and tell you about them and tell you how, to, how God can change your life. Uh, you should say amen to that. My goodness, you should be excited about the fact that we're going to keep doing that. You might be sitting there going, we already got enough to do, we aren't doing. Well, that might be true. But we're going to keep digging stuff out for you. And, and you know what happens? When I dig it out for you, it digs into me. I get a little bit more of that in me. So, trustworthy and be faithful. We have to be faithful stewards of the mysteries of God. And we preach them and we teach them. And so do a lot of you that are teaching small groups in other areas. Now, Paul is going to turn a little bit and he's going to tell us about some of the common problems that a minister of Christ face, that we face. Um, Paul now turns to a common problem in verse 3, and that is the evaluation of the minister. Who is to do this? Um, it's a remarkable thing, but we have hundreds of volunteers. Everybody wants to get into the act of evaluating and judging the minister and how faithful they are. This brings about a constant pressure upon everyone who is called to, to this kind of ministry like what we're doing. It, there's, there's a lot of pressure on us as men but I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I like what Paul says, and I think I'm in total agreement with him in this passage where he says in verse 3, but to me, it is a very small thing. It's a very small thing that I may be examined or evaluated or judged, depending on what translation you have, by you. And he says you because he's talking to the people from Corinth. He's talking to believers that are in that church and he's saying, it's a very small thing that you evaluate me. I don't, it doesn't bother me that you evaluate me. Now, I said earlier and somebody came to me and said, please don't say that. I said, I don't really, I don't really, I'm not real concerned about what you think of me. Um, because um, I think that there are things that I have to be careful with that I, that I can really get into that will keep me from doing what I'm supposed to do. And that would be one of them. If I start being concerned about what you think of me and I stop doing what God called me to do, I may get your favor. I'm, we might become good friends and hang out and have an ice cream now and then. But I don't really care about that. Now, if you want to have me over ice cream, I'm willing. But I'm still going to preach the truth of what Scripture says. That's what I've been charged to do. Yeah. So this... But in, in this one, I... I was taught this in seminary uh, Dr. Uh, Swindoll Chuck Swindoll did a thing about the kinds of pressures you have as a pastor as a minister and he talked about this very category of thought and he put it into like three things so I'm stealing that from him it's a good place to go steal it from and um, but I, here's, here's my thing Paul says that he says it's a very small thing that you judge me I wish I could say that's always true for me. That's a very small thing that you judge me. Because sometimes when I hear things that you say about me, oh yeah, I hear. I, I, I have my minions out there helping me out. I hear when you say things. And sometimes that really does bother me. But you know what is wonderful? It used to bother me a whole lot more than it does today. Because, and you've heard me use this passage uh, multiple times. I'm going to continue to use it because I think it's really changed my life. And that is uh, the Galatians 1.10 that Paul also wrote. For Here's what he says there. For am I now seeking the favor of men? I'm not. Or of God. Am I seeking the favor of men or am I seeking the favor of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You know what I've realized? When I stand at the Bema seat, when I stand before Christ at the Bema seat, 
and he's judging all of my works. We're going to talk about this even more. You know what I realized? None of you are going to be with me. None of you are going to stand with me. It's going to be me by myself before my Lord. So really, at that time, it won't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you think. It only matters what he thinks. That's what Galatians 1.10 is saying. I, you can talk to my wife. She's not in this service. She was in first service because she knew I had to quit by a certain time, so she came to first service. <laughs> if you haven't figured it out, you come to the second service, I can just go on and on sometimes. But anyway, leave that aside. That is an important thing for you to realize about the people up here that are preaching. If they fall into one of these pressure situations... They cease to be who God called to do this. Okay, so here's the three areas. I know I set that all up and then went backwards. This is an, import, this is an extremely important passage for me. Now, in this passage, we see that we, we in the passage that we read, the verse three, we're gonna see three different, two different kinds of evaluation there. And so here they are. It's congregational evaluation. That's the you. That's the people of Valley Bible Church, the the members of Valley Bible Church, a lot of you have joined this church coming here knowing that I'm the executive pastor preaching, Tim's preaching, and Todd's preaching. You joined anyway. Okay? So there was apparently something that you liked. So you joined. So now what do you do? You're going to put pressure on us by telling us we don't know what we're doing. Huh? Okay. So here's what happens. There's three kinds of congregational pressure. When you are the judge, I know this is not a real lighthearted uh, sermon title, sermon thing, but we gotta preach it anyway, right? It's here. So here's what he says, and here's, here's what uh, Swindoll pointed out, and I, I've seen it, I totally agree with it. He said, there's, first, first pressure is adulation. Adulation. That's, I'm gonna get done today, and if I didn't tell you this, you'd come up and say, oh, good job today, pastor. Well, that sounds good to me when you say that. I kind of like that statement. That's adulation. If I'm not real careful, I will start to preach a certain way so that you'll say that to me. I'll get a big head. Uh, some of you say it's already big enough. That's fine, but it's, that's what will happen to you naturally. You fall in love with hearing that kind of terminology. And you want that compliment. You want to hear it from people. And, and, you know, and my wife will tell me sometimes I'll come home and she'll say, you know, after I've preached, I come home and all I want to do is eat something and fall asleep in my chair. And uh, she'll say, so how do you think you did this morning? How do you think it went this morning? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what every person in the room is thinking. I, I can't know. I'm like, you know what, honey? This is what we've come to. Honey, all I know is I went there today and I did what I was supposed to do. I'm not worried about the adulation. Now, I like it whenever you tell me you enjoyed the sermon because it did something in your life. But just to come up and say, well, you did a really good job of speaking today. You didn't do a bunch of uh, uh, uhs. You did a really good job. Well, what about it was good? What about the message really struck at you? I asked this question in the early service and I saw heads bowing like they were going into prayer. What did I preach on three weeks ago? Yeah, you guys are doing the same thing. <laughs> Looking at the ceiling. Yeah, what is it that we preach that God used to change you? That's what I want to hear about. That's the adulation that I like to hear. Oh, man. I had a lady tell me three weeks ago back here. She's probably in her 80s. Her husband was a pastor. He was 103 years old. Still alive. Okay? And she told me, she says, Pastor, all I know is this morning, I'm leaving here with a lot to chew on. You can't tell me something any better than that. I'm leaving here with a lot to chew on. I said, well, honey, when you get done chewing that up, come on back and get another bite. And I call her honey because she's old enough to be my grandmother. 
So there's adulation, and the, the danger there is that it swells the head of the minister. You get a big head, and then you start thinking you're all that, and then you'll fall flat on your face because God does something like that to the proud. And then the second one is manipulation. People who try and manipulate and influence the preaching and teaching, and this can absolutely tie the hands of the minister and usually causes them eventually to leave ministry completely. It's when, and <laughs> God bless her little heart this morning, somebody said to me, hey, man, I'd love to see us get into Romans, and then I use that in my sermon, and so, um, but nobody knew it but me and her, but she came and apologized after. I said, you know, we're in 1 Corinthians right now. Did you guys know that we're in 1 Corinthians? Yeah, we've been in there since about March, I think. Maybe April, I can't remember exactly, but somewhere around there. And, and guess what? We've been in there for this long, and we're, only, we're not even through four chapters yet. I'm gonna tell you something. We're gonna be in 1 Corinthians for a while. It, it'll be next summer before we get done with it, maybe. But guess what? There's a bunch of stuff in there that the church needs to hear including this stuff but to try and manipulate the pastor by telling him you know I, you, you know it's amazing i'll finish my sermon this happens every week that i preach i'll finish my sermon and i'll go down here and people will come up and they'll say things to us they'll say things to me and then there's always one or two that want to tell me how to say it better <laughs> oh yeah happens every time well you know you said this but you could have said this I'm like i could have said a thousand things but God put this on my heart to say it this way. When you get your chance preached, you say it the way you want to say it. But you know, th that happens like every time. And I don't want you to think that I don't want to get better at what I do, because that's not the case. But you know, after a while, I'm like, I, I think you're more of a critic than you are a help. And you're manipulating. And it's not good. It's bad for the church. When the pastor allows himself to be manipulated by the congregants instead of being manipulated by the word of God, we are in trouble. We're in trouble. We might as well just become a social club. Join the Kiwanis or something. And then you have this final one. And this, and this is the one that as a minister, there's nothing you can do about it. There's really, except pray for the person. There's the antagonism portion. And this, I wrote it down because it's what Swindoll said. Outright, sharp, open-faced opposition. We just don't like what you're doing. Well, well, why don't you? It doesn't matter. We just don't like it. Hmm. Often, this will break the heart of the minister. And they will leave the ministry. And you know what the church needs today? Less pastors, right? No, we need more pastors. There's churches closing up all over the place because the pastors or the ministers have grown weary and they're tired of being antagonized by people that are supposed to be on the same team with them. So that's the you in the passage. That's the you that does the evaluating, judging. And I thank God that the majority of the people at this church do not do that stuff. Thank God. The second one is the human court in the passage. By any human court. That's in a, societal, a societal evaluation. That's society evaluating what we're doing in the church. That, I'm gonna tell you right now, if we start listening to all the cultural things as pastors, now, we're going to preach against some cultural things because they go against the Word of God. But I'm not bringing up a bunch of cultural, political things for us to talk about it because we're not going to solve it anyway. Smarter people than us can't figure it out. I'm going to stay in the Word of God and let God, tell, let God fix the culture. Yeah, yeah, you can clap on that. It's true. I mean, he's the one's got to fix it. Now, we've got to still be ambassadors and tell people about Christ. Guess what? We're falling down on our job telling people about Christ, and the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and we're sitting on the sideline acting like we don't care. You have the words that can change people. God has to do the changing, but you have seed, and you got water. And you need to be casting the seed and watering so that God can make it grow. The problem is, if it never gets out of the bag, onto the soil, it will not grow. 
God's saying, you guys are limiting my ability to do what I want to do. Throw the seed. Quit looking for the right dirt. Just throw it. And God will make it grow. Don't worry about, as, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the last people I'm listening to is the city council of Hercules. And then it gets even, I get more deaf the higher we go in government. I still pay my taxes and all that. But The third one that we have, the third evaluation or the third judgment is a self-evaluation. And this is where I have to have, Galatians 1.10 has to be clear in my mind because this is the one that would really nail me. I am harder on myself than any of you could ever be. You know, as a preacher, it's, it's a known fact, and I think if you look at Tim and Todd, they're going to nod their head yes. Nod your head yes, guys, when I say this. You always preach your sermon at least three times. We happen to get to do it four times. You preach it before you ever get here. Then we preach it at the 9 a.m., and then we, by the time you guys come in, we're either worn out or we figured out what we didn't say at the 9 a.m., so we're trying to say it all at the 11 a.m. So we do that one. And then we go home and we preach it all week. Oh, I should have said that. Oh, I forgot to say that. Ooh, I, oh. And you have to rest in this. As a minister, as a guy that preaches, you have to rest in this. What came out of my mouth is what the Holy Spirit wanted to come out of my mouth. That's what you have to do. When you're, when you're teaching a class and you've studied for it, and you're going, hey, I had this one little illustration, I want to make sure I use that one, and then you get done with the class, oh, I forgot to do that. God didn't want you to use that illustration. It's okay. It's okay. But self-evaluation, oh my goodness. You know why? Because late at night, or in the wee hours of the morning, ain't none of you there. I'm there. I'm the one thinking, man, did I do this? Have I done that with the notes and I got up this morning and started typing notes again. And you can thank God I did because there was some stuff I actually left out that would have been just completely senseless and I'd have been stuck up here trying to figure out what I was talking about. Look at verse four. For I am conscious of nothing again. This is because of self-evaluation. And, and guess what? Well, let me make sure I'm saying this right. Now this is in verse four. Okay, we're in verse four. All right. So this is in that self-evaluation. When I'm self-evaluating, I am conscious of nothing against myself. I haven't done anything wrong that I know of. I guess I'm conscious of that. Yet I am not by this acquitted. Wow. Do you hear that? I'm thinking in my mind, I haven't done anything wrong. Everything's good. But that doesn't get me off the hook in God's sight. There is a way that he has for your life that does not come in direct agreement with what you think is for your life. So you have that. He's, you're not acquitted. It doesn't mean you're innocent just because you don't know about it. What did David pray? Lord, would you look in my heart and reveal any action that's not right according to you? How many of you are praying that this week? Thank God. Because you know why you don't pray that? Because you don't want to know. I'm kind of enjoying my little sin that I'm doing over here on the side. Don't reveal that one to me, Lord. I like that. Yeah. I said that. It's true. We've seen it. But listen to this. What's he say, though? But. See that contrasting word. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me, and this is the only one that you have to worry about as a preacher or as a, as a uh, even if you're not preaching, just as a believer, this is the only one you have to worry about. But the one who examines me is the Lord. And you know what? It doesn't say the one who examined me, past tense, the one who is currently examining me is what it's saying. He's examining me right now. While I'm standing up here preaching to you, he's examining me. 
He's saying, are you doing that with the right motive? Where's your heart at in this? Are you, what, are you, what is the thing you do in the dark? Because that's coming up in the next verse. Ongoing present tense in the privacy of his own heart and conscience, Paul says that he is exposed to the word of God and the spirit of God spoke in his life. He became aware of the Lord's evaluation. How else would he know the Lord was evaluating him? Because he's got the Holy Spirit in him. He's looking at the Word of God, and he's only looking at Old Testament Word of God at that time. None of this other stuff was even written yet. Paul hadn't written it yet. You know, he wrote like 10 or 11 of these books, so some of it hadn't been written at this point. But he's just looking at it, and he's going, my heart has been changed because looking at Scripture, then the Lord tells me, you can't live like this, you've got to live like that. That's, that's changing you. He's the one examining us as pastors. He's the one that's examining you as a congregant, as a member of Valley Bible Church. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God that's examining you. And he's doing it right now this morning. He knows right now if you're looking at your cell phone, looking at playing a game instead of listening, or you're thinking about where you should be next. And let me tell you, I know the cell phones are on and off on this place. I go up there in that balcony and watch, I can tell. But more important than me knowing is God knows. Did you check in or check out today? Are you here to please us or are you here to please God? Thank you. That gives us hope. The only evaluation really to be paid attention to is the one from God. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of man's heart. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. I don't need your praise. I need God's praise. I want his praise. I want his favor. I want him to like what I'm doing. Not because I'm under the law, but because I love him and I want to do the right things. So there's a warning here about, an er, about, about doing early evaluations on your, on your pastor, on the minister, or me doing an early evaluation on you. Do I know what's in your heart? Do I know the motives of your heart? Nope. Sometimes it proves out how you live your life, though. But in the early service, I said, there's only one person in this room that has any idea about my heart, and it's my wife. And she doesn't even know everything in my heart. But God does. And he says he's going to reveal it by his light. He's going to bring to light the hidden things in darkness. Now listen, the hidden things in darkness don't have to be bad. There could be... I could, for instance, I could find out that somebody in the church has a financial need. And, and I can go in my wallet and find enough cash to help them. And I can give that to them. I did that in the dark. The only person that knows that is me and Tim if I did that with him. Well, he probably told Diana, and then she told the kids. And then they, but I mean, between me, for me, I did that in the dark. I'm not asking anybody for accolades. I don't need adulation for doing that. I did that because God put it on my heart to do it, so I did it. I did it in obedience because I'm serving the master. And so, and so you become a beneficiary of something that God put in my heart to do, but it's in the dark. That's a good thing I did but it's still in the dark. It, doesn't, it hasn't come to light yet. And guess what? If it comes to light in this life, I'm not sure that you get it in heaven. Especially if your motives aren't right. Listen, if you, how many of you served at summer night camp? Raise your hand. Come on, raise them up. All right. So, now here's the thing. If you did that because somebody put pressure on you to do it, if you did, I mean, seriously, if you did it because, well, I love Andrea, and, you know, she said she needed help, so I'm going to do it. Well, that's the wrong attitude completely. I mean, thank goodness that Andrea has that kind of power over you because we needed helpers. But you, you know what I'm saying. Like, no, no, I want to serve. I want to be in the lives of those little kids. I want to be with my fellow brothers and sisters working together trying to get our children away from the stupidity that's out there. Do you realize the stuff that we told them at summer night camp is probably the only truth they've heard in months? They sure aren't hearing it in their schools. 
The thing you can be thankful for if you're a parent or a grandparent or an aunt and uncle is that school's on break right now. Because our mind isn't being filled with a bunch of stuff that it shouldn't be. So we need to be patient about evaluating people because God's going to do that evaluating anyway. And then I'm going to land here and, and let you go home is each minister's praise, I just love this, will come to him from God. I'm holding out to hear from God. And I think that everybody in the room wants to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, right? Everyone in this room wants to hear that. Yes, yes. I'm not sure if that's an applause for that or because I said I was gonna stop. Um, but it is true, it is true. I, I can't, I mean, think about that. The God of the universe and every good thing that you've done that he's gonna reward you for, you wouldn't have done if he hadn't helped you do it. Everything. Any good work that you do for him is powered by the Holy Spirit. He's the one that has to do it through you. You can do nothing without the Holy Spirit that pleases God, nothing. All your good works are like filth, filthy rags to him. All right. I'm, I'm gonna quit, but I'm not done. So what does this tell you? What's, what's your point of view? Let me say this. Todd's going to speak next week. You need to be here next week. Because he's going to tie this, what we just talked about, he's going to tie it back into what you, you should be doing. Because now that you know this, now that you know this is what you can expect from somebody that's a pastor or a minister, now you can say, okay, now what? Now you have the freedom to say, I can move on. I can move on in my life. I don't have to worry. They got to answer to God. Now, we always tell you if you hear us preaching something that, doesn't, that looks contrary to Scripture, you should come and talk to us about that. Absolutely do that. But don't be judging my motives. Who are you to judge my motives? That's way guilty. Way convicting to say that. And listen, I expect all of you to come up and tell me what a great job I did this morning. Because I already told you I could care less. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Word of God. I thank you that, man, Lord, this list of things that Paul is pointing out to us doesn't seem like it's that much. I've got to be a servant, I have to be a steward of the mysteries of God, and I have to be trustworthy. That seems so simple until you start realizing that we're going to be judged and criticized, and, and then it gets more difficult. All of the other things from three to five is to try and knock us off the horse until we get to five, until we get to four, that latter part. But God's examining me. God's examining Todd. He's examining Tim. He's examining those teachers in the room. He's examining you. And he's the one that you have to answer to. You're the one I have to answer to, Lord. You know the secret motivations of every heart in this room. No one's pulling one over you. You're not pulling the wool over your eyes. You know. So we just say thank you. Thank you for the word of God that frees us up. It frees us up. And so we say thank you for it. We, we love learning about the mysteries of God. We just do. And um, I think Tim and me and Todd, we'll sit and talk about the word and digging out these little pieces of gold that are there. And there's huge boulders of gold in the word if we just would look. And so we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for caring enough about us to send a son to die so that those who had no hope now have hope. Wow. I'm 180 degrees away from where I was headed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. May you bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.